Wow, what a year. Agile After Dark is back after a little bit of a hiatus. A lot of stuff going on, but we come back and start strong with talking about cost of delay with the smartest people we know. So sit back, enjoy a drink, and let's get this party started. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Woodford, sitting here. And with me today, sitting over there, is Brandon Gartley from the Casita. <laughs> the Casita Apollo 13 Casita version. Let's uh studios, let's say. I actually really like the studio. I mean, it looks great. It's 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 not as good as the, you know, the yeah. the Heartland, yeah. but you know. We got a bar. We got a few yeah. Banksy. Yeah. We got, you know, we got a few things going for us. Exactly. There was a bar in the Heartland. What are you talking about? Oh, a true. nice bar in the Heartland. That's true. There was a bar in the Heartland. And that voice you heard uh, from the frozen tundra of the Midwest is our Coco host, Jessica Gustelis. How you doing, Jessica? Oh, hey. And we're also here there again with. Oh, hi. <laughs> You're already talking over how, her. How cold is? <laughs> how how cold is it there? Uh, I think it was like 30 today. We got seven inches of snow yesterday, though. Oh my gosh! All so right. you know, and Connie doesn't shovel. Well, we also have Shyla Reddy. You remember her from previous podcasts, the smartest woman I know, except for Jess and my wife, and also Steve Thomas, who's the smartest. Right person i know except for brandon <laughs> and some other people <laughs> don't make me laugh <laughs> oh, this is gonna be a new game <laughs> this is gonna be a new game greg it hurts greg when he laughs <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. it's gonna be a very dry episode yeah well it's a shorter time frame from when he laughs until he cries now yeah, <laughs> that would be good for the show, would it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a while since we've done one of these. I mean, how how long has it been? You know, it's been a year, and I have to say, it's not much has happened in the past year. I mean, you know, it's just been kind of. Oh, you know, it's been totally, totally norm. Not what. Yep, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. By the way, you know, the one thing that I appreciate is the fact that even though none of us have worked on that account from the Midwest, and we we haven't worked on that for over a year, we still meet every other week to talk, you know, just for support and hear new ideas. And I think that's pretty special. And that's not typical in consulting organizations. Yeah, exactly. And I'm super grateful for for all for everybody who continues to get together I, sometimes it keeps my sanity <laughs> <in tech. laughs> all right so what are we talking about today gregory well first of all i think we should t- spend a little more time talking about the casita or the cantina because it's super cool it's it's not quite as spacious as the old Apollo 13, yeah, that's true. but it's a much better, much better setup. And it's, it's, it's really cool. So I applaud you for putting all that together. So today's episode is called don't dismay cost of delay is here to stay. Yeah. And we're excited about it. And we have Steven Shyla here to talk to us about it. And, um, you know, we're excited to have them on because I couldn't think of anyone better because we've had many conversations about this offline. And uh, I think Jess, you kind of wanted to, to get us kicked off. Yeah, I mean, as Brandon mentioned, it's come up, it's come up in 
quite a few of our podcasts actually in the past, so we thought it'd be good to have one of its own. So I guess, um, Shaila, if you want to kick us off and just describe what cost of delay is. I will describe what cost of delay is not going by the book definition. I'm sure, you know, if you want the book definition, you should probably read once and for all, even though you'll sleep through it every single time, Principles of Product Flow by the great, you know, Dr. Um, Donald Reinison. So with that out of the way, um, the more, let's say, colloquial way or local way to talk about cost of delay is, is really talking about what is the cost of not having something right right now? What is the cost of not having a particular set of functionality, a feature set, a widget, as much as it hurts to say it, now, right? So it's the function of not only the benefits, but also the ever-evasive timeline, right? So you got to think about both of those, and then we can add in for good measure um, also what it takes, right, to actually come up with the information um, for value because, right, time, value, money. I'll stop there, see what Steve wants to add to that. Yeah, I, I like it. And I was going to add that, you know, in, fig, in figuring that out, you know, that the value is not always constant. So um, I was one company I was working with, you know, and it happens often, you know, it's like, well, up until we, we need to release these features, these capabilities in time for the holiday season or for some other, whether it's a trade show or whatever. And you know, releasing it early doesn't really gain us a huge amount of benefit. Releasing this late, releasing it late has a huge, huge cost. Um, and so they you know, really want to get it. Now, releasing it a little bit early is incrementally helpful. Releasing it a little bit late you know, it kind of goes up dramatic. So your cost curve or the value curve isn't always a steady thing, but, you know, exactly. Um, so figuring out what that is over time is, is key, but it's, you know, absolutely what Shadow said. So, so Jess, I know you worked at a big box consumer store. Did, did you feel that pressure of like some kind of a schedule where it's artificial, but it still means a lot? Without a doubt. I mean, Steve actually brought me directly back into that. I can feel it. I can feel it happening to me. Because there was always, <laughs> my blood pressure knows. But there was always exactly what you were pointing at, Steve, is A, with retailers, obviously the holiday season, certainly Black Friday, but even before that, there's usually some kind of event that comes up that where all of the people who are involved in getting um, getting the information out about that feature or that set of features to the people who are going to use it. If it's not if it's not there by that point, there's also a detriment. Not as big a detriment as if you didn't have it before, you know, Black Friday, but certainly a detriment. So I see that cost curve, or we saw that cost curve and, and talked about it quite a bit. Whew. <laughs> it's almost, yeah, it's getting towards, uh, you know, Black Friday time of the year. So, you know, Jess is oh, yeah. celebrating and sweating it at the same time. Um, exactly right. You guys mentioned, you know, it deliver it, you know, something of value. Um, is there kind of given our past conversations when we're talking about delivering things, what do you, what would you define as it? Uh, 
that you're that you're putting out there because I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah. So, like I was telling you, in easy to understand language, it could be a set of set of functionality. It could be, you know, um, a, a set of features. It could be an actual product. It could be enhancements to a, a product. At the end of the day, what we're trying to really measure, I guess, is saying um, the impact of that particular change that you're trying to introduce, right? So if I had to bottom line it, that's what it is. Now, you're going to have different urgency profiles, like my friend Steve has been talking about, right? But those urgency profiles are for this value, the business value that we're talking about, depending upon um, really what it is you're trying to do. So if we're talking about, for example, let's say a SaaS product, right? Value over there is going to be different from if I'm trying to sell, let's say, uh, the, the very latest iPhone model, and this is not the first time, right? This is just um, yet another version of an iPhone. Now, business value in these two things and what exactly we measure will differ, but you're still going to be thinking about those urgency profiles and saying, how does what it is that we are delivering, right, and the urgency, how does it actually manifest in these cost curves, if you will? And what is the true cost of delay? Should I not actually deliver this thing, this thing being this product, this enhancement, this set of widgets, whatever it is? Yeah, I was going to build on that because I, I like, Shada, when you said that it's um, – because I my first answer was going to be a feature, but you said a set of features, and I like that because – you're spot on. I know that that um, when organizations uh, try to or, or think that they may want to do a cost of delay at a, at a story level or at a single feature level, it doesn't always make sense because it's too much effort. You know, it's too much um, speculation about that one feature. The organization would have to and the product would have to have an awful lot of telemetry established so that they could verify is the you know is the one feature of the story gaining the benefit that we expect it to so it's far better to do it like you said on a on a set of features um, with the caveat that you can at least uh, release it you know, in not too long of a cadence I, I know in my old background in telecom we said you know, we, we release twice a year, and we're really happy with that. Um, you, you can't be in that mindset. It's got to be at a faster pace and a faster cadence. I think the magic word over there is, is really outcomes. It's a heavily overused buzzword, and I'm really trying to stick with simplicity as my mantra today. Uh, it must be the, the you know, adult beverage I'm drinking today. Um, but... But really, again, to think about what is the outcome, right? What is the end outcome of whatever it is that I am trying to to deliver, and then start backwards from there. And it may be a set of features. And and now, the more and more I work with, you know, different customers, different parts of their transformation journey, I hesitate to use the word feature even, right? 
because in some places, you know, you've seen this manifestation of a feature factory, for example, right? Do, 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 output, output, output. So to really change that language and say, okay, what is the end outcome we really desire? And not make it so lofty, but again, with this particular thing that we put out there in the customer's hand, what outcomes are we really looking for? And then really coming backwards from there and saying, okay, how would we know really that we're getting that outcome, right? And then what is the cost of delay, right? Delaying that impact of change. And Steve, I'm going to ask you this question. There's a cost to release something. It's not trivial. I mean, it's 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 hard to go through all of the testing, all the quality, the marketing, all of the stuff that's on the back end from a business perspective. So what do you think the ratio of releasing sooner rather than later and then the cost of actually doing the release itself? I mean, it's I'm kind of interested in that question. So, yeah, good. It kind of harkens back to our, our earlier topic around DevOps and around, so what is the cost, the transaction cost of releasing? Um, but you mentioned some other case, other aspects, which are, aside from the software, the the development organization, their cost of uh, releasing something, there is a, a business cost, you know, training training the people, you know, the advertising, the promotional costs, there's all of those and figuring out. So you're right. You want to balance those out. And on the, from a development side, you want to, you leveraging the DevOps, uh, not only mindset, but tool set in those disciplines, you want to bring the transaction costs down. Um, and the state of DevOps report has demonstrated that, that the more you drive that cost down, it in fact helps your whole organization, including your bottom line business results. So aside from that, you on the technology side, you want to drive the transaction cost down all the way to zero um, or as close to zero as you can get. On the business side, releasing a new feature or capability, I'm going to have a, a promotional campaign, I'm going to, I've got to retrain my sales staff. Those costs aren't going to go away and figuring out the right balance of the transaction cost versus the, um, uh, you know, versus the, the release uh, frequency is something you really are going to have to balance. And I, I, I love, by the way, Shala, the urgency profile uh, word. So next time my wife says, oh, can you take out the trash? Nope, got an urgency profile thing. Got to get to. Sorry about that. Urgency profile. Got to get to it. Stop um, making me laugh. <laughs> but uh, so this is all. Can, can you sleep in your theater, in your studio there? Then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Yeah, it's got, it's got a refrigerator, but no bathroom. So I think I could probably make it work. <laughs> Hopefully I never have to. Um. But uh, what I wanted to, to talk about is, so this this is all really seems fascinating, interesting. But when I'm at an organization, how do I come up with this? What what you know what what do I need to do? Who do I need to go to to say, okay, I, I get that we need to have a cost of delay to better understand what's more important to get out before other things. But how do I? Where do I start? Where, where what's the process in doing that? Yeah. So if I may, uh, just you know give you a, a day in the life of our experience between Steve and I, we were working at uh, this large enterprise. And to be honest, both of us really believed in the concept. And while we did a great job, 
explaining to folks the concept in order to make it real, we had our own apprehensions, right? We were like, um, we're not sure if, you know, quantifying this is going to be easy because everybody else out there in the industry says it's hard. And um, it took, I think, the support of good executive leadership that gave us the permission to experiment, that gave us the support to have some of those critical conversations. And what we found through that, those series of, you know, the first range of experiments was it was actually not hard to have those conversations as much as we feared it, right? Once we got past the, here's what it truly is, and we started really using simple language and doing what coaches do, just asking questions and getting, you know, a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper um, and using a loosely held framework around it. I think those conversations proved out to be very valuable, simple, and getting over some of the bigger fears uh, associated with transformation, right? Um, things like transparency. Can we make this information transparent? What is the fear associated with making this information transparent and making decisions? And how big are these decisions? What if those decisions were a little smaller, right? As we work to reduce the batches, oh, so the impact of this change is not yay big, it's much smaller. Okay, now I can deal with this. Now I can talk to you about dollars and cents. I was just going to say, Shaila and Steve, both of you can speak to this. You, I, I really appreciate the fact, Shaila, that you're saying keep that conversation simple because it leads to clarity. But what do you? How does that sort of coincide with Widget, for instance? The the the. Um... As with the team we were working with there, I mean, the, we were working with people who weren't necessarily software experts, but but kind of general business analysts. And so I was, I mean, I agreed with Shyla's answer about, you know, it took leadership willing to experiment. And it also took, um, you know, it took some reasonably smart, they weren't geniuses, you know, love them. They were nice people, but you know, just reasonably smart people who have the freedom to go and and the permission to go and say, figure out this out. And it took on their part a willingness to um, go with good enough information and present good enough information, which was really hard in their corporate culture. Everyone was used to um, precise information, um, you know, and many, you know, financial services, there's lots of companies that are very are used to precise. And what Shiloh mentioned about the transparency, you know, they, they protected data as well. And so in those cases, we'd tell the teams, you know, we'd encourage them, make your best educated guess. And that, of course, was counter to the whole culture. But as, as they made that guess, then the executives would say, all right, you didn't have it. Where'd you get it? Well, we guessed, okay, because no one would give us the actual information. It began to make them think, you um, oh, okay, that, that's actually not that far. And for the purposes of prioritizing, what Brandon mentioned, prioritizing piece, piece of work A versus B, it was good enough. So how does it come in with widgets? I don't know if I answered your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you did. And, I, you know, it's interesting because my first reaction was, <clears throat> yes, it takes buy-in from executives, but as soon as they get a number put in front of them, they're going to start 
digging into it, right? They're going to start saying, well, do you include this and you include this? And what I heard from you saying that is, is they said, oh, maybe we didn't include this. And they went back and they included it and they came back and there really wasn't a substantial difference, right? It was good enough. And that's the value of the exercise, right? Mm. The whole value add between Steve and I was to reveal those assumptions, those hidden assumptions that people were making as they were lining up, let's say, rigid, right? Rigid A versus rigid B versus rigid C. Okay, let's start asking the simple questions. Why A? What's the why behind the A? What is A really going to give us? Why A now versus see now, right? These kind of questions. And that, you know, started putting down, oh, it's because executive, you know, this person really owns this widget A and all of this stuff, and they said this must be done, and therefore this is priority A1, and this is A2, and A3, and A4. It's like, well, yeah, no, not all of them can be priority one. Right. And, and one of the key elements then was um, as the leadership, the, as you mentioned, the executives would try to push in, they would pick apart the numbers and all of that. Our coaching opportunity at that point was to ask them, what's the difference of getting the precise information? What's the difference of getting this great information versus the good enough information? Did it change the results? And then train the, the analysts who were providing the data to ask those same questions. Because it was a matter of changing the entire leadership team and how they prioritize. And, and as Shaila mentioned, you know, I've got, it was you know, different empires. I've got my empire and my agenda. And, and I've seen that in, in, I mean, was we were coming up with examples, every organization I've worked in, it's like they're, you know, created in these different empires and everyone has their own priorities, getting them talking in a common language and cost of delay. That's, you know, back to your earlier, what is cost of delay? It is the one common language that different executives from different towers and perspectives can agree on that should drive you know, the overall priority conversation. As long as you can get a sufficient number of the factors built into that cost of delay. Um, so then you can, you know, instead of saying, well, this is my most important thing and I need my set of teams to work on my work and you can have your set of teams to work on your work so that you can work on your priorities instead of doing all of that nonsense to say what's really important for the organization. And Shaila, you, I remember you saying something along the lines of it's about relatively right. What was it? Relatively right is better yeah. than exactly wrong or something like that? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure I've said many versions of that. Uh, this was the life we lived for what, almost a year as we brought people through the portfolio dojo. Um, but again, roughly right, um, you know, or another version of saying perfect is the enemy of good enough, right? right? Um, so every conversation, it was, it was okay for, for me to be wrong, right? As I was dealing with a, a set of people, some of the smartest people, I mean, the people that, you know, at one point we were working with were, you know, math grads from some of the best universities possible who held, you know, who closely held uh, mm -hmm. some very complex models, if you will, that run a, a huge, you know, a billions, of, billions and billions of dollars worth of a portfolio. And so to work with these guys, 
you know, it took a certain personality on our end to say, you know what, we don't know all the answers. So tell us, right? It's kind of um, like it's kind of like gold plating, isn't models. it? <laughs> <laughs> he said <Nope>. it, not me. <laughs> but I will. I think another way to the phrase what Greg's question was before that you guys were kind of hitting on is when you hear things like WizGIF and stuff like that. I think a lot of the times there's a question of you know doing relative uh, numbering of these things how effective of that is with an executive versus actually having some sort of dollar amount around it. Right. I mean, I, I assume that's probably more effective than just a general number, but with what you said, Steve, it's kind of tough too, yeah. when you're going across different parts of the organization, I can kind of see the back and forth on that. Yeah. So what we found with, with using relative, right. There's a time and place for using relative to lower down in terms of, um, not necessarily size, but I want to say complexity, and maybe complexity is not the right word, but the lower, you know, you go down the hierarchy or progressive elaboration of work, um, you really don't need that level of even good enough, you know, relative is good enough for that level. So back to our stories, right? At that level, right, just having a relative is fine. It's just fine. That's the only team that will ever see it, and that's great. You start going up above that and you want to articulate value, you need a common denominator. You need a unifier. And you know what? The almighty dollar is definitely the unifier that we seek. Right. And and the relative, it helped to weed, weed out uh, 120 ideas down to the 10 most important that we actually want to do cost of play on. The 120... But I will say also the relative that gets right back into the turf battles and fiefdoms, and I've seen it over and over again. When it's relative, well, you that based on which criteria, and well, for me and for my area, this is, and you get to wrestling and arguing and fighting over you know those. When you can turn them into dollars, um, the 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 emotion behind it goes away. You're like well. You, then you're only saying, well, did you include this factor into it? And, and later on, we'll talk about some of the other um, challenging factors to include it and you know, include cost of play as you, for the different types of work that you're looking at. Yeah, and I know we're going to want to wind this particular session up, but isn't it always about driving value? Like if you cannot understand from a product, I'm getting on coming from a product management perspective, if if you can't describe the value of what you're doing, then you you throw it out. It has to be driven by value. Yes, that that is true. And you the value proposition you have to unpack with the leaders. What is the value? Because they'll say, well, it's not going to bring in more money, or it's not going to you know, cost me a penalty. It's going to do this other thing. Great. You know, how would you characterize that value? Well. Why is that valuable to the whole enterprise? And as you continue to ask them those questions and help them unpack, here's the value, here's the attribute. And it's like, great, that's one of the attributes that needs to be in the calculation for this piece of work. Whether it's my reputation, says corporate corporations' reputations is hugely valuable. Um, and in fact, 
it's it's monetized. I mean, look at their banks, look at their uh, annual statement. It actually pins it down. Here's exactly the value of our uh, of our brand. Um, and while it's kind of funny money, you know, they've at least you know, characterize that. And so they do that. Accountants do that all of the time. And so saying, all right, you're just taking that thinking down, you know, into valuing this particular item. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to transition to the break because I think we're going to try, this is going to be over a podcast. So this will be interesting. We're going to try to get in some specific examples because I know on this particular issue, uh, there's a lot of philosophy out there and, you know, none better than the way that you guys just described it. But I think we're going to try and dive into an example so that people can get a sense of it that way. With that being said, uh, we're going to transition to our break and have our sponsor uh, give their little jingle. Our sponsor today is Gantt Charts. Gantt Charts is what everyone has loved for years. It's so visual. That's right. It shows you progress right up to the end. Gosh, Damn it, it looks so pretty. Morning. Do not trust Gantt charts for longer than one day. Resource allocation will be wrong after the first hour. You will spend more time changing Gantt charts than using them effectively. Managers will ask why this one looks different than the last one. People representing the Gantt chart will hate the Gantt chart almost as much as you. Gantt charts cannot be trusted. Gantt charts, the can't-miss gift of the season. So um, it's been a while since we've done this. I'm just going to practice this opening line since I screwed up every time, <laughs> no matter what. So now it's been a long time. So I'll probably do it just perfectly now. No chance. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses Agile topics not talked about in the light of day. My, I'm your host. See? See? That's what happens every time. But, you didn't but, even get the Greg Adams look first. I know. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Um, wanted to uh, welcome everyone let's back. Let, and we're back. Let's talk about some and drinks. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Let's talk about some drinks. <laughs> no, let's talk you about know, some drinks. It is Agile I, After Dark. I, I think we have about 100 people now listening to this, and well, they love the drinks part. They do. And, you know, so big development. You know, it only took about mm, a year and some quarantine time. And, you know, after having several weeks where I was drinking too much, you know, like a lot of people <laughs> in the country and the world. I was like, you know what I should do? I should get Agile After Dark on iTunes and Spotify. So they are now on iTunes and Spotify. So please take a listen. You know, you probably are listening on this because there's very few ways to listen to it before. So we're really excited about that. But share it with your friends because it's absolutely accessible now. Brandon did an awesome job of getting that all put together. And that's how all of the people from my old... One of my old jobs, there's probably 10 people I literally said, hey, check this out. You might like it. You might not. But we have fun doing it, you know? Yeah. And he's saying uh, nice things about it because I just poured him a drink while he's in a sling. So It's true. That's All right. True. Along those lines, let's okay, talk so, about... Okay. Let's talk about what, drinks first. I'm doing... I switched up. Remember back in the day, mm. I used to always just do the bourbon. I think I would just do bourbon straight, right? Mostly, yeah. And so now I've switched up because I'm much more healthy now as a drinker. And I'm going with cranberry, or I'm actually going with pomegranate and vodka. That says slimmer liver drink. Slimmer liver Clean drink. living, Greg. I like it. Clean living. Clean living. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm thinning my blood. 
<laughs> by drinking. It's clean living. It's been in my blood. <laughs> all those antioxidants balancing out all of the oxygen. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost like the. the I, unfortunately, I'm not doing the. Uh, the uh, cool blue Gatorade drink. Although I was thinking oh, yeah. about, I think I have a new drink and I'm going to have it for next time. I'm calling it CBGG, the cool blue Goo Gate. G- g- <laughs> Don't make me laugh. The <laughs> <laughs> clear, clear blue Grey Goose, the CBGG. <laughs> CBGG, oh, <laughs> clear <bastard>. blue, <laughs> gray goose. No, actually, I'm just you know going full anchor man here. Scotch, 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 <laughs> scotch, 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 scotch. I love my scotch with the cool, oh, like, the square cube. ice cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah, love that. Comforts of home. What about you guys? I'm doing uh, kettle and water. Kettle and water. See, but Greg, I'm on I'm on the healthy train. It's you know, keep the hydration while you dehydrate. It's I totally True. get that. True. I I do mostly do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shyla? Well, I'm having uh brain food, my my favorite Malbec region. Yeah, excellent. Today. Yeah, excellent. And to the Number two team in the in the country, I think the Ohio State Buckeyes. What's what's their favorite fan drinking? Uh, their favorite fan uh, right now. I've got a red wine. It's uh, from the Marais, Marie Marie uh, Sec region of uh, Southern France. And it's a 2017 from oh, Benjamin Dunno. It, it couldn't have come from 2019 well, or it's, 20. It's either you know before 2018 or it's in a box. It's one of the two. I think we've had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now, now this, this one's in a, this one's in a bottle and uh you know in, enjoying it it's a it's a good um refreshing you know, the region has a lot of ganache grapes that you know ah, nice. so he, he's bringing some some i usually hate the word class but he's he's bringing a little high-end sophistication to us. yeah sophistication, sophistication to us so yeah, we appreciate yeah, like that. that the question is steve did you did you look at the at the topic and say Costa Delay? What would pair really well with Costa Delay? I, I actually did, and, and I chose. There was a there was a bottle of wine. That I was like, well, which which bottle am I getting out? And it was one from '06. And I was like, but I'm not sure if it's really going to live up to uh, you know. So. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, we could reference that because wines do get you know better with age. Some of them do, and some of them, eh, not so much. Yeah. I just, I imagine. So, <laughs> what you say that, Steve, and that question just has me in this in my mind of as Shyla and Steve walk around and do stuff in their house. They're literally like looking around, cost of delay, cost of delay, cost of delay, cost of delay, cost of delay. <laughs> <laughs> should I make the kids it's lunch now or should I <laughs> this laundry that can wait this needs to go next that's right <laughs> it is actually true um, you know when we were putting together our first workshop it was the time where my daughter had just gotten her license and um, she was just hesitant to drive I mean getting the license itself was a two year delayed process and then finally, you know, once she got it, I couldn't wait because, you know, it's like, who wants to drop her off and, you know, worry about picking her up? And especially when, when I was local during that time. And I was discussing this with Steve, and Steve was like, cost a delay. 
what is the cost of delay? You're buying a car. Let's do this now and let's show it. <laughs> we actually did it. And we were able to convince my daughter actually to, you know, start driving and going to school by herself. And within the first week, that's what happened. So that's amazing. Funny you should mention that. That's amazing. Well, and, and driving value. Having that conversation that the primary person paying the cost of delay was you, was the parents. You know, they, they no. were having to bear the cost for every day or every week that she delayed in getting the license. And the daughter was thinking from her perspective, it's like, ah, it's not that big of a deal because I still have a ride to school. I have all of and it. It's less of an annoyance, you know, for me. The parents, on the other hand, are paying a huge cost. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> in a CEO in a company, right? They're just like, hey, I don't, you know. I don't want that, and then and you, but you have to you have to prove the value, you know, because that's they're they're imposing a negative cost on the organization because they want something specific, and that's not what you we don't want that driving the decisions. Yeah, and that's a good transition. I mean, I think I think most people, uh, especially those that have kids, could certainly relate to what uh, what Shiloh was talking about. Um, but as I mentioned before the break, there's, you know, it's Reinerson's book. Uh, there's, uh, what's the guy's name that you pointed me towards, Shyla? Not Abrams. Um, uh, Josh, Joshua Arnold. Arnold, um, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. He's he's a good one to look at, his site as well. I'll make sure that it's on the link on the site so that you guys can get to that. Um, there's some good stuff there. Uh, but I think it's, as much as we can in a podcast, because it's not a visual podcast, obviously, uh, maybe try and talk about some specific examples and the components that you know you would typically look at in an organization. Um, so, and it's really highlighting the power of this in specific forms, right? Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the intent. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says it right here in the script: power of <laughs> COD. That power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I'm just trying I to have the, script, the power. Which I don't do <laughs> He man. Okay, uh, we're we're digressing increasingly. Um, so, I think that there was a couple of examples that I kind of honestly, Chad and Steve, uh, lifted from something I saw that you guys have put together for your portfolio um, dojo, and you kind of broke it down into two examples. One was a business feature. So remember, we talked about the different types of things. One was a business feature. I guess it could be a combination of features together. And another was a techni- uh, technical enabler. Um, so I could go through the numbers. Do you guys want to talk about it in general, or how how would how do you guys think it makes sense to to kind of approach this? Yeah, actually, before we get into um, before we get into the specific example, I think the listeners may benefit from from really looking at a simple framework of course we all like frameworks right mm-hmm. um a simple framework on how to get after these these kind of conversations and i have found this framework really useful coupling this framework with don reinitson's work and the pure math genius that goes behind that has been super helpful right again to, in in light of keeping it simple so the simple framework on how a coach could really start digging deeper into this question is what we already naturally do, which is to say, you know, which is to ask why, right? Um, so you start, you know, within this framework, I think the underpinning question is, of course, going to be why. Um, so why is this particular feature important, right? 
And as you start to get the answers of these why questions, typically they fall, fall into one of four categories, shall we say. We can call them buckets, we can call them categories, but these why questions typically land in one of four categories. Is this particular feature helping us increase our revenue? Is it helping us, you know, protect our revenue? Or on the flip side of that equation, is it helping us reduce our total cost of ownership or cost, right? Or is it helping us avoid cost, right? Going back to that reputation conversation that Steve was talking about. It's helpful for your listeners to really think about it in these terms, because that will then help us dig deeper into articulating the numbers that we're all after for cost of dealing. And it's quite possible that given uh, capability will uh, blend between or across a couple of those. Um, but you're right. Those are the four buckets that, that we really want to talk about. And uh, generally speaking, it will primarily be in one or the other of those buckets, but sometimes it does blend across multiple. Okay. And so before okay. we go into the examples, I, I think increase revenue, people get it. No, no questions there, right? Reduce costs. Got it. You know, those are typically the two levers that a lot of people pull on, right? But when you're talking about protecting revenue and avoiding costs, maybe it's helpful for us to go in that a little bit deeper before we get into the examples. Sure. Actually, let's articulate that through an example. Let me give you an example of protecting revenue, right? Think about um, the iPhone, okay? The iPhone, the next generation of iPhone is doing what? It doesn't have G with, you know, so much more functionality. It is to an extent about protecting revenue, okay? So those enhancements that you put in to say, you know what, I have a market base with this particular version of the product. I want to make sure that in the coming year or quarter or whatever that horizon is, that I can still maintain that base. That's protecting. You're protecting, you're defending, if you will, your particular territory against other disruptors. And you do have to invest in order to protect what you know, you know you've already done because nothing is constant, right? We already know change is the only constant. You know, I, Shaila, I couldn't agree more. And I, I do know a little bit about Apple. And what I would say is what's interesting is if you look at their revenue model, their services have become a much bigger part of their business because they're locking you into their, in, you know, their, you know, their, their ecosystem. And th that's how you, why you keep buying the next thing because you're like, well, all my stuff's in iTunes or whatever it is, you know? And so you keep buying it, they, but they invested a lot of money up front and didn't see returns on it until just recently. Right. And some of those services, they make cater specifically to that iPhone market, which is again, going towards protecting the base. Right? Yep. protecting that piece of revenue. So Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about avoiding costs and map it back to the reputation example we had. Okay, so yeah, avoiding cost is, is around, um, so uh, let me see. We were, uh, for a telecom com company, they were actually on a very fairly old piece of uh, software and their infrastructure. 
And one of the reasons is, you know, every time that they would, uh, the, the development organization would say, hey, we need to get off of this old version because it's costing us this and this and this, you know, but the incremental cost, you know, just didn't seem valuable enough. You know, the, what they were paying, you know, could never compete against, you know, the marketing people saying, hey, if I had this new feature, I could bring in these new customers and you really need to do this. And so meanwhile, this infrastructure, the software that they're on gets older and older and older. They finally were able to do it in the sense of uh, the cost of delay of uh, avoiding cost of this is about to be discontinued. And the vendors agrees that it will provide additional support beyond this for the tune of $10 million a year. So now they became, it, you know, the vendor translated it into a dollar cost while they, the organization had never really successfully had that conversation, but they began to say, okay, now we're avoiding that $10 million penalty that the vendor is going to impose on us to say, yes, we'll gladly support this whole version that everyone else is off of if you'll pay us $10 million a year. You know, that wasn't the vendor's cost. The vendor was saying, look, everyone is off of this. This now becomes a cash cow because you've been silly enough, lazy enough to stay on this old version while we've been signaling for years, you should move on. Hey, if you're that silly, fine, we're going to turn it into a cash cow and do more than just, you know, bill you the cost of it. And that's, you know, it's also chasing salespeople uh, who only think about the thing that they didn't win last week. I, this is the most important feature I need to have right now because I've lost this deal and you, you can't like as a product, you can't let it, let them drive you because you're, you should have a bigger vision than, than a single salesperson. Right. And so, so understanding what is the next deal. So the cost of delay of the deal you lost, of course, that's already gone. <clears throat> it's what can those, can those salespeople, you know, make a legitimate argument of these are the next sales that we will lose if we don't have capability X, Y, or Z. In the industry that we've been working uh, through, I mean, we've, we've all worked in a myriad of financial services industries and you know, it shows up more often than not. It makes headlines on pay in papers more often than not, right? And people do keep an eye as to, you know, what are these penalty costs really going to be and how can we actually avoid that? Because there is a cost associated with that. And as much as you think that people will go deprioritize that versus just as Greg was saying, that next, you know, shiny, you know, object. Um, it's not the case, right? The job of the executive is pretty hard and you do need to think about it in different ways. And sometimes you do need to add it all up because that becomes then the total cost. And, and that um, when you talk about the, I wasn't going to get into this, this yet, but a different example, and it was, this was in a, a global restaurant chain and I was working with the, the person in charge of, of uh, managing their systems, uh, dealing with the supply chain, supply chain systems. And you're like, how do you deal with cost of delay in that sort of environment? And so he's looking at the different features and capabilities that give his 
um, supply chain analysts helping them make better decisions, you know, and he's like, well, so what's the cost of delay? And so we, we, as Shadow was talking about, we just had those same sort of questions about, well, what really matters? What are the, what are the decisions that these people are having to make? And that was one of their decisions. It's like, if we run out of product X, that makes headlines. You know, if we have product X, of course, makes no headlines at all. You know, so the cost of you know, so their analysts, you know, being able to evaluate the um, uh, the uh, capability of different suppliers and the mix of suppliers to say, okay, if if supplier X fails, will supplier Y you know, still be operational? Or if a, cata- a catastrophic event happens in this region, will it affect supplier A and B? So I really, I haven't, I thought I had broadened my supply chain, but in fact I hadn't, you know, because it's all impacted by the same hurricane event or whatever the event is. And so helping them do that analysis and make better decisions, again, we could translate better decisions into cost of delay not quite as obvious as, as you know, the, those simple buckets, but by asking those probing why questions, you get down to it. And it's actually not even that many different why questions to get down to it. What happens if you don't do it? <laughs> like, that's the one that just everybody goes, wait, what? <laughs> what happens if you don't do it? Yeah. And I, I was working with a financial service company and um, the financial services companies are so risk averse, and this one was as well. And so they came to this development organization that I was assisting, and they said, we have to have this. I'm like, okay, why? It's a compliance issue. Now, for that organization, compliance issue meant drop everything else, you must do it. Uh, I had, I fortunately was able to work with the business side in addition to the technology side. So I said, went over to that, to the business side of the house, which was in a different building, in a different block in the same, (laughs) in the city. So there was a huge divide between them. So I go over and talk to them and say, so what happens if we don't do it? And they're like, what's interesting you asked that because Actually, you know, they said, uh, or actually I asked them, when did they, they said, well, we'll be in violation of this, uh, like, um, this regulation. I'm like, okay, great. When does the regulation go into effect? And they said, oh, well, actually the regulation went into effect five years ago. I'm like, so you've been out of compliance for five years. And they said, well, we have a manual workaround that we've been doing for the last five years. I'm like, oh, okay. So what's the manual workaround costing you? It's costing us about $100,000 a year. Okay, so your cost, your real cost of delay is $100,000 $100, a year. That's the easiest cost of delay ever. <laughs> this is not a valuable initiative. It's like, well, we, we, we have gotten to the point where we're damaging our reputation with the regulators. I'm like, okay, we could quantify that. But in reality, while you're saying this is a compliance issue, it trumps everything. The reality is this is a really low priority item. And, you know, it's another piece of that that I heard earlier in in what you were talking about it, Steve, is brought me back to our very first episode of Agile After Dark. And we were talking about, oh, business analysts are wondering what's going to happen with my job. And Christy Clement was like, oh, we love you, analysts and so forth. 
this is actually a real opportunity in terms of where business analysts fit in to kind of the structure of lean and agile. Like this is essential. And business analysts, I think, are actually the best people positioned to to help develop this. Agreed. And they bring they bring that data to the product manager or product owner so they can see it. They lay it out in a way that it makes sense so that they can make good decisions. Yeah, we still love you, business analysts. <laughs> so it's not just the finance organization or the development organization or the, the business organization that's benefiting right from these conversations. It's all of the above. Uh, I can't tell you how many agile transformations I've been on where finance has been you know, off to the side. Once we started bringing this kind of modern ways of working and thinking into the mix, they become essential to having this conversation. And it's been a much easier path than just saying, let's just talk to finance later because all they worry about is CapEx and OpEx. It's not true. What has actually proved true is it's much more than that, and they're more than willing to actually help in these conversations. What's the What's been your experience with the barrier to that? Because either it's a perceived level of uh, gap, if you will, or it's um, an actual one. I and mean, we have enough trouble trying to bring business into the conversation, right? How about... Uh, you know, actually the, the finance people being involved in those conversations early on? Um, the number one barrier that I see really is um, if you haven't made, if you haven't bridged the gap to leadership, mm -hmm. right, that can prove to be a very, very big barrier. And I won't even make the distinction, is it business leadership or IT leadership? It's leadership period, Right. You do need to develop the sense of radical transparency, not that you're selling your business models or any, any such thing, but it is about being able to be aligned down to the last dollar and cent, right? And that takes work, and that's where most of your barriers will start to show up. If the teams are really not set up to collaborate, if the teams are really not set up for this kind of radical transparency, then any effort to have meaningful conversations is moved. Right, and the transparency is closely, closely linked to the trust. And so, yeah, and the, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation. Do you, are you transparent first? You can't be if you don't have the trust. You know, can you trust if you don't have the transparency? No, you can't. So bringing the set of the whole team of leadership, and so it's business, it's technology, it's it's the finance people. It, it, in some cases, it is the compliance people. They they hold the trump cards. Whoever it is to bring them part of that conversation and build up the the trust among them. And and actually, cost of delay is a huge tool to help bring out both that transparency and bring about the trust. And because it's a, again, it's a common language that we can all talk about, and we can make the model the cost of delay model for any piece of work as sophisticated and elaborate as we want. Later on, we tell them, Hey, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's good enough is good enough. But if they need to build an elaborate model in order to build the trust and bring the transparency of all the different dimensions to it, let them do it because they need to be a full team as leadership. And I, and I would follow that. So it's actually a question for Jess because 
both at your big box company and also kind of, you know, uh, working with teams and trains and, you know, arts and all that stuff, you know, having that level of transparency of these are the reasons that we're making these decisions, what, what effect, if you've seen it, what effect has that had or what effect would that have in your, in your experience? So the concept itself, I don't feel like is really that hard to get. So once, once, once the concept is there and you essentially have a baseline for conversation, right? If we're all, if we're all speaking the same language, the math itself is helpful because then you have concrete stuff to look at. Even having the same, the same, the same language that you, that you're all speaking can be incredibly helpful in terms of like, well, I, back to the fiefdoms or the empires, you know, if, if you say, okay, great, we'll really dig into this and take a look at what is the actual numbers, what, are the, what is the actual dollar value cost to delay, before it even gets to that conversation sometimes, people are going, okay, to be fair, <laughs> that actually might be, you know, I think, I think there's, some ration, like, there's some rationality that comes with the common language where everybody gets an understanding of where, where does the true value lie? And, and, and what is it going to cost us if we don't do this or, or do do this instead of the other thing? And Brandon, I'm going to, I know we're trying to wrap up here, but, um, how do you, so I've been talking to a lot of different companies and business agility is all the word business transformation, transformation. How do you think this fits into those conversations? Because I think people are starting to get serious about the business side but they don't have the tools to be able to do it. They just think, oh, we'll just make, you know, we'll get our teams lined and we'll do that. And some backlogs to work backlogs off of or design, ethics, yeah. but, yeah. but they don't, they're not embracing some of these concepts, right? Even for the transformation itself, forget software development, forget the development organization, even the change itself, you know, they asking the questions, what Shiloh was mentioning, asking questions of, why? What are you doing this? What will happen if you don't have this? And by bringing those, bringing those questions to the forefront, you, in essence, are doing the cost of delay for even the different change initiatives around business agility. Why do I want this? Just because it's a buzzword? And I know you hate buzzwords, you know, uh, Greg, but it, you can use the same, techno same thinking patterns for looking at the transformation journey. To, to Jess's point, you know, looking at those numbers and looking from the teams and perspectives, you know, I think there's a lot of value that we talk about that information coming up and saying, oh, that's, yeah, that's across the delay. But have you considered this makes no sense doing this before this from a technology standpoint? Like you could have all of the budgets and all of the things about getting to the consumers and so forth. But then when it gets down to the actual people that are going to, you know, deliver it, they may come back and say, what? Yeah, we that sounds great, but you know that lift is much bigger than maybe you think. Yeah, value accrues over time, right? And we mm. talked about these different urgency profiles, right? Even if if half of the guesses were wrong, okay, even if they were wrong, which they are not, they're directionally usually right from our experience. But even if they're wrong, what it has helped an organization do is again reveal some of those assumptions, work as a team to really sequence these major initiatives in the right format. That's what we're after, right? We want value, but we can't work in, you know, in a simultaneous or in, in, a, in a parallel fashion. We can't work on, you know, 100 different things. How many of us have walked into organizations that have, 
you know, 100 different uh, strategies in play at a single time. Instead, these conversations lead us to the point where we're saying, okay, we have it roughly right. It's not exactly precise, but we know that this is the sequence by which our top four really need to line up, and let's get after it, right? And we have a way to measure it then once it's implemented and say, was this actually, did, is this is, is what happened what we thought was going to happen, and what can we learn from that, and do we need to pivot or are we good? Yeah. And, and I was going to build on your point, Brandon. You know, there's a thing to to watch out for. There's a, both a a good thing and a, something, and that's infrastructure um, or innate what uh, Safe would call enabler, you know, features or capabilities or or epics or whatever, and say, oh, I need to have this, but the cost or the cost of delay of having this infrastructure thing, you know, upgrading to the next version of this technology or putting in place this capability doesn't buy me much you know, in any of those four buckets, but it is a foundation for providing this next set of capabilities, which will. And that's half true. And you definitely need to take into account because these, these sorts of enabler things do exist. And to figure out the cost of delay, you actually have to look at what's this enabling. It's enabling this other thing. But what's half false about that is you can't, uh, if frequently technology, you know, technology people, dev people, you know, architects will try to put in the whole thing and say, well, I need to have this entire, I need to have uh, the, the full capability of doing all sorts of electronic documents or electronic signatures in order to gain this feature. Well, that's not really true. You know, if I had all of this, of course, it gives me that capability, which is going to give me protect revenue or enhance revenue or whatever. But can I do that for a more minimal piece of the underlying infrastructure? And that's where the infrastructure pieces really have to be sliced down to what's the minimal necessary to gain this piece of incremental value. Yeah, and I so think they that, do that, that, that whole sense, and we're wrapping up here, but that whole sense of refactoring for the features that you need and aligning the, the, the old, the platform, whatever it might be, the architecture to support those features that, you know, are the most important thing is really critical because the big bang we're going to rebuild from scratch never works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I want to take us to a break. Uh, it's funny. We, we wanted to come in and, and talk about some, like a very specific example. I think we'll do that after the break uh, because I think we touched on some things that, I'm so happy that we got into because it, it, I have a much broader understanding going into when we're talking about the example. So we're going to go into a break and uh, come back on the other end. Break it yesterday? Yeah, when did you break your ribs? When did you fracture your ribs? I think it was Monday or so. I, I was watching Monday Night Football. I, I think I was watching Monday. I don't know why I'd watch that game, but. Um, he was watching WWE Raw. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> how did you know, Jess? Now, how did you drive yourself here, though? You I can, well, I just, drive with, I just drive with this hand as opposed to this one. Is that your usual hand that you drive with? No. I, I only almost died three times. It's not a big deal. No it's, wonder it took him so long to get there. He went through several bushes. I know. See, now I'm feeling like an <laughs> asshole. He usually gets lost anyway with both your hands. Imagine how much lost he got with one hand. <laughs> 
So I think that the the next topic, uh, Brandon, is that is, uh, does does what does the COD power have? And I think we want to get into some specific nerd math on this. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So our, our listeners may not know this, but I had a kid during the the break that we've had and i haven't had much sleep and so a lot of my nerddom has kind of escaped me <laughs> but um i will say that i can steal and copy and paste stuff so what i've done is i've taken examples that Shadow and steve put together for one of their portfolio dojos and if you were to look at the actual outline this is this shows you how much little sleep i have i had literally thousands versus millions and got those wrong but i'll, I'll try to do what i can to to speak to it but so we had the two possible examples, um, some business feature or features, if you will, based on what we talked about, and a technical enabler. And um, building off of what Shyla talked about with, you know, are we increasing revenue or are we protecting revenue or avoiding costs? Are we reducing costs? I think this business feature concept was to have a combination of increasing revenue and avoiding costs. So the increased revenue... Uh, for feature or features, right? Uh, a, let's say, is 52 million per year, right? And what, based off of kind of the calculations for cost of delay at a simple level, you divide that by 52 weeks and you would come up with what? Survey says million dollars a week. Okay. I am going to have to be the nerd for the rest of the time. All right. Um, to avoid costs, and then there's an avoidance cost of nightly reporting uh, that's around $500 a week. So your total cost of delay is? $1,500,000 per week. So the impact of not delivering this work uh, item for every week we don't deliver it. So $1,500,000. That's pretty high. Yeah. So what? What and is that actually? That's an actual thing, Steve and Child? Like that, that example was that? pretty accurate around something that you guys were looking at or this was actually one of the first examples where we literally pulled out a sticky note and as we were having the conversation you know steve over here was writing down the numbers and we're having the conversations i'm facilitating the conversation he looked down and he's like this can't be <laughs> there's no way <laughs> 52 million, right, a million right. dollars a week Right. Our thinking was, you know, surely if there was a capability that would deliver a million dollars a week, they would have jumped on that. That would have been so obvious to the business people. And so we that was our assumption. And so but we couldn't find any other data. And so we said, well, surely this is wrong, but let's bring it to them and, you know, make it transparent and say, what are we missing? And then the shocking thing was they came back and said, you're not missing much. That's the reality. We're we're losing out a million dollars a week. You know, crazy. And they were comparing this same capability, and they were still actively arguing. And so the reason that we brought in the cost savings because in the conversation about it, they were saying, "Well, yeah, it's." See, they weren't articulating it in terms of dollars. They were just saying, yes, it will. there's a revenue opportunity and there's a cost savings. And that made it almost sound like those two are 
at least in the same ballpark. But you can see from this example, you know, $500 a week versus a million dollars a week, we shouldn't even really be talking about it's going to increase revenue and it's going to decrease cost. The only thing that really matters is it's going to increase revenue by a million dollars a week. That's what matters. The 500 doesn't matter. And when you compare it against, you know, some other item that, oh, okay, you, yeah, this is going to save us, you know, $10,000 a week or yeah, it's going to save us, you know, my other compliance example, which I mentioned, you know, uh, this is going to save us $100,000 a year. All right. When you turn that into weeks, you know, it's saving you roughly $2,000 a week. Is that matter really, even though it's a compliance issue versus this one, which is going to gain you a million dollars? So, Steve, is this a real example of a million dollars for a feature? Yeah, because we said, it was, or it could be a set of features, right? It but I want to be that product yeah. manager. <laughs> it was a set of features. set of features, a feature mm -hmm. set, yeah. But yes, a real example. And, and shockingly, I think it had been on their backlog for five years of, yeah, we should do that idea. <laughs> um, oh. I have to ask, like when you, you're in that room, and who were in the room with when you kind of, came like unveiled this and it wasn't you necessarily right it was like you know you had someone else go away with to, to determine the cost of lay what was the reaction in the room when that was this is a million dollars a week well in, in this particular case we were so tentative about it we just took it to our 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 sponsors to say did we get this right and, and they're like yeah you did get this right and like well who's championing this and you know um, I don't remember. Shana, did we take did did the analyst team actually take this to the um, whole portfolio team? Actually, we we were the ones that brought the conversation because you'll remember in the dojo setting, at the end of the week we had all of these leaders sit in the room and we were demoing the work for the week, and we just brought it in. Oh, by the way, did you know? Right, part of the demo, and. You know, we yes, we saw permission from a part of the leadership group. The rest of them, there was a part that was actually in shock. There was the, there was another camp that was like, how do we prove this wrong? How yeah. do we find holes in this? Right? Um, this can't be because we are championing this other thing that is going to give us what um, you know a million dollars a year worth of revenue. We really need that because that's what we promised and. They were all kind of political and turf wars, but data is data, and that was the beauty of it, right? There's and at the end of the day, it cuts down on those those fiefdoms or those empires that you're talking about because it's just it here's the information. What do you want to do with it? And no longer is it a conversation around here's my thing that's important to me, and and it's just let's go look at the information that's here and make. Yep. And make the right decision. And if you're not making the right decision, given the information that there is evidence. Right, right. Because they've been having those conversations based on fiefdom, like we said, for it had been on the backlog for five years. But they hadn't, you know, this allowed them to, you know, be, as Shada mentioned, there was a lot of pushback of that can't be right. And let me bring my data to it. Uh, but at least you're now having a conversation around a common language, a, a dollar, you know, and a common, you know, what will you, you can, 
you can poke holes in the model. Great. We welcome that because it's actually helpful to the leadership team actually going through the storming process and building the trust that they, you know, because each one had their own set of data. So the, both the trust and the transparency of the leadership team so that they could really be able to collectively manage their portfolio. And, and really, this was the key to, to earn. I think this is really where um, the finance people became the champions, right? Yeah. We just had to show it for the very first time. From this point on, every other conversation, they were like integral to the conversation. They were like, we know where to get the data for this. Oh, you want that? Here, this is where we would go search and here, put a, put a time limit on us and we'll get it to you within two days. What previously took years, really. Right, right. They right. knew exactly what to do. And I'll, and I'll tell you guys, I was cursing you guys when no, you gave me a heads up and said, when you read the Reinerts' book, you're going to fall asleep. You're going to look at all the graphs. You're going to look at all the numbers. And you're going to be like, what in the world is going on? But I do remember this. Two things. One, when he was talking about cost of delay, he said, basically, if you're going to do your instincts and you're going to lick your, your thumb and put it up against the air, there's a 50 to one ratio in terms of getting it right. But if you're using cost to delay, that decreases down to two to one. From 50 to one to two to one. So it's like when you're on the football field and you throw the the grass into the air to see you know how the quarterback's going to do. Yeah, something, something <laughs> like that. I'm trying to figure out the analogy here versus actually running the right play. <laughs> that you know that's going to work against the defense rather than saying, let's throw the grass in the air. Okay, yeah, something, see, that's a good analogy. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. But I do remember that. And that, it kind of takes us to the next piece because it's, you know, one that people may not think of a lot, which is kind of the technical enabler, right? So that's not the the one that people are thinking of. They're thinking about features. They're thinking about get our features yeah, out. That's hard. Let's, you know, versus let's invest in the enablers that are actually going to help us uh, get to things. So. I think that the example that you guys had was an automating functional testing enabler, right? Which, you know, you basically figured out was about a million dollars per year. And the way you figured that was like 10 FTEs times, you know, 100,000 per year or something like that, give or take, right? Um, and then approximately $20,000 a week is the impact of not automating the tests. So take us through that in terms of, you know, what, oh, and sorry, then there was the impact of not putting in a CICD, so an actual automation. So investing in the DevOps, investing in the CICD, um, you know, having that, you basically have like a $43,000 per week savings so that the total cost of delay was 63000 per week. Not as much as the feature, but still not unsubstantial either. By the way, before Steve answers, I just want to say how dashing he looks with his mustache and his little flavor saver thing. Flavor I just saver. wanted to make sure I know. <laughs> he didn't even talk about his blue eyes. It was the mustache and the flavor saver. Oh, I forgot about the blue eyes. <laughs> he can't see it in the screen as well. <laughs> the flavor saver is an enabler for future flavor saving. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So, what was the question? Thank you for that squirrel. I have chased you know, far into the next neighbor's yard. <laughs> 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 
And I think let's let's bring it back to in terms of those four areas that we talked about: protecting revenue, increasing revenue, avoiding costs, and uh, reducing costs. This was a reducing costs and avoiding costs combination, right? Right. It's a, it's a reducing reducing the cost, you know, um, and potentially um, you know avoiding costs, you know. At, depending on what you do with your test automation, you can redeploy that. You can save the cost and get rid of the people, or you can that's or you can redeploy those to you know ferret at, ferreting out other defects in your product. But you're right. We we looked at it and said, okay, for this test automation, you know, here's the cap- here's what you could do, um, and we wanted to bring this example because uh, and bring this to light because so frequently. Um, the development enabler type of uh, capabilities become the unwanted stepchildren. You know, it's like, well, they don't they don't pan up just uh, against the compliance issue, which is, oh my gosh, we must do this. It doesn't pan up against the if we do this uh, thing, it will enhance revenue. Or here's this huge cost savings. This one's one of those slow but steady. It, it eats away at you when you can turn it into the full cost of delay and say, okay, and this was, I mean, the savings in headcount is, is only part of it because we didn't, you know, factor in, okay, what's the increase in quality going to be? What's the increase in, you know, the cycle time of, okay, I could now deliver more frequently because I've got these automated tests. We chose to abstract away all of those and just focus. But when you look at comparing this against, like I mentioned, that other, compliance issue, which at $100,000 a year boils down to $2,000 a week and say, would I rather have $2,000 a week or would I rather have $20,000 a week? I'll take the $20,000 a week any day, any day of the year. Yeah. Hey, are there any downsides to this? Like we, this is called agile after dark. Are there any downsides to taking this approach? Like what, what are the downsides? Absolutely. So we talked about the analyst types, and one of the biggest hurdles that we faced early on is really to get into analysis paralysis, right? To, again, play into the culture of the organization. If it's a fear-based organization, then you really want it accurate and precise and down to the fourth decimal point before ever revealing any assumptions. And so the downside is if you're going to take six months to calculate the cost of delay and make a decision, you do need to factor, you know, that cost of that information gathering that you've done. The cost of the cost of delay. If the cost of delay is going to cause the cost of delay, then you've got a real problem. Oh, my mind just blew up. It absolutely is. Right? We just broke through the fourth wall. Right. And again, you look at the mathematical formula, it's that partial derivative of all of this put together. And don't forget, every day that goes by, and that's why it costs a delay over, you know, that time. It's a function of the time, that point in time. And there are so many different profiles where, you know, this may be totally mute by the time we get to this point in time. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it now. It helps us make a decision. Is it now? Is it next? Is it never? Mm-hmm. Right. right. And that is hard for organizations. Another pitfall that organizations will fall into um, 
is they're looking for a standard formula. So to make sure that I'm comparing apples to apples, they'll want to say, all right, I want a formula. And, and the, the SAFE's version of WizGIF gives them that formula. You know, it's, it's this, you know, here's the cost of delay. It's the, the you know, opportunity cost, and it's this, and it's that. And the, add these three numbers up and then divide by that. Uh, you know, they're looking for a formula that they can apply to every piece of work. And, and you've heard the conversation. It's really about asking the questions and the, the cost of delay calculation, while the number is the set, is the outcome is dollars per week or dollars per whatever unit of time you like. Um, the how you got to that dollars depends on the type of work. So, you know, it's a, a savings in headcount. There are some commonalities, but um, reputation, you know, our reputation with uh, the, in the regulators, you know, is one thing versus our reputation with the, uh, the public at large versus, uh, you know, so all of those, and they're looking for some standard formula and they'll spend elaborate time. So they'll want to spend elaborate time and effort to create this one universal formula. And that's silly, you know, and they shouldn't, that's a pitfall and they shouldn't go down there. Allow themselves the freedom to say the cost of delay of every piece of work may be uniquely different. That's okay. Every piece of work or within a certain part of an organization? Certainly within every part of our organization. It could be down to every piece of work. I mean, certainly when we were looking at, um, you know, with one organization I looked at, which was, um, okay, they were going to take a certain capability around processing payments um, at, to different countries. Um, there you're looking at the same formula and what's the cost of delay for introducing that capability for the nation of Israel versus the nation of Poland versus the nation of Denmark, you know, and you could say, what is my customer base? What's the, you know, the opportunity cost, you know, what's it going to potentially gain me to go into country X versus country Y. And there it's going to be very similar. It's the same formula. Um, if you look at, so I mean, compliance stuff might even be state by state too. Right. right. Compliance. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to kind of slice it up. But again, to Shyla's point, it's how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Yeah. And how, like, at what point does it start actually becoming a becoming a analysis paralysis, and you're not actually moving forward to to do one of the things that you're that you're proposing to do, and instead actually just moving forward with the best, to the best of your ability right now. say this with, with utmost love and respect, right? Um, as much as we know that it doesn't make sense, you have to let folks experience it to a degree because that's what will really bring about accountability and true empowerment on their behalf, right? So as much as Steve and I could like stand on the soapbox and keep saying, don't go down that path, we did allow them. In the beginning, we gave them, you know, you know, these are different things, and we give them a laundry list of stuff to, you know, make their own model. You want to put weighting criteria around it? Go for it, right? They did all of that, and we just held up our little sticky note where we did, you know, back of the envelope math, and we said, okay, so now how does this compare? $58 million versus $52 million. Is that a big difference? 
Is that a big enough difference to where you want to spend six months coming up with the perfect formula? And they were like, no. But you know, we got it. So I think okay. that's important. Now that from, tried that, yeah. now we can own So I think that's important from a process standpoint, which is uh, start with back of the envelope. If you're going to go somewhere, say start with the back of the envelope, because that's a baseline is what I'm hearing, right? That's a baseline. And then have the executive start to pick apart and then see what the variance is. And what I'm hearing is it's not that different in your experience, right? That there's, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, but that's important because, and again, it's not a, it's versus the 50 to one to two to one. I'm not saying, oh, our baseline is, oh, I guess it's this. No, that's not that. It's, you know, we're going to start with some sort of analysis and then go from there. You know, Shiloh, this is bringing me back, and, and it may not be accurate, but when I, we, you and I were in a, a room with probably 25 or 30 people, and they were just going on and on and back and forth, and you went and just stood up and wrote on the board, stop starting and start finishing. And that was like, it, honestly, my career, I was like, whoa, that's like amazing. It, that's a my and they did they oh, captain my captain sort of they experience. they ignored her but it, but it, <laughs> but still I was like oh my god that makes total sense do you remember that yeah I mean it's a, again if we go back to sequencing the work they had all of this stuff in progress and nothing coming out from the other end right and it's taking years not months right what I put on the board was number of years it was spending in all sorts of queues. That was the problem we were looking at, and we were like, "Yeah, no." Right? That's a whole other Reinerson thing. That's a whole other podcast, maybe in terms of you know evaluating yeah. the cues yeah. and so forth. But so I agree. I agree with what you said, Brandon. You're starting with the back of the envelope, and and what Jess mentioned earlier, bringing to light the cost of delay of the cost of delay calculation, and so saying, okay, we did the back of the envelope, it showed this priority. And then one of the reasons that, that we chose to frame their cost of delay in dollars per week is to elevate the urgency. When it's dollars per year, you're thinking, oh, I can delay a year. But when you're thinking in terms of dollars per week, it's like every week it's costing me this much money. Do I really want to spend this week? You know, do I want to spend that $20,000 or that $1 million this week? You know, that's a different way of framing it. So if everybody had to give the power of cost of delay in a one sentence, can, can anybody do that as we wrap up? Common language for evaluation. Yeah, I was thinking the same. It's, the, it's a common language for leaders to be able to prioritize what we need to do next, what's important to do next. It is beyond just a tool in the tool bank. It is a mindset. Mm -hmm. It is a mindset by which, you know, uh, leaders actually behave in a lean, agile manner to do the right things just in time for the benefit of the organization with lots and lots of respect for people. So, there you have it. It's the embodiment of all of these lean, agile principles that we talk about all day long. This is the embodiment of that. Yay! That's exactly right. <laughs> Feeling cheering. I told you she was the smartest person I know. 
I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. I always, I always say that, but you know, I don't know if I've said it enough. But coming back, it's been a year. As I said, it's been a year. Oof. Boy, has it year? been a year. It's been a year. How, how long is that? It's one year it's since year. we did this? It's been oh a year. God. Yeah. It, actually, a little bit over it a year. It doesn't feel like a year. I know. Of course, also, time has lost all meaning, so. Yeah. I know. And as, as you know, we all talked about earlier, you know, the fact that, you know, minus the podcast, we've we've been in touch on a regular basis. And I just, I'm really excited about trying to, to get this back online um, on, a, on a regular basis, on a regular cadence, because... You know, uh, I the, there are things like this that just kind of bother me and keep me up at night. And then I talk to Steve and I talk to Shiloh and I talk to Jess. Sometimes when I talk to Greg, yeah, uh, he doesn't really you know, talk that, to me very much. You know, I'm kind of like, wow, this is this is really really important stuff. And let's let's have some drinks, let's have some fun, let's you know talk about this stuff. And Agile After Dark, back at it again. Okay, so I'll do 52 million. Brandon messed up his math. Fuck you. That's because it was. <laughs> I paid that's right. That's right. Enjoy your broken ribs, <laughs> asshole. <laughs>